lot of CEOs come to marketing leaders during this time and ask one basic question, how do we get our customer acquisition costs down? And I think that can be a very, very isolated lens that can cause a lot of trouble to your business. It's more about really converting people that are already interested in your brand. Uh, for me, that is about generating uh, interest uh, for the first time. So really just, you know, people getting them exposure now or a few months ago, and then just hitting on what you know is working and exploiting that as much as possible. The problem with attribution platforms is that you really cannot add them up and just get to 100% of the demand. Certainly for forecasting, you really have to use last click because you know that it adds up. So on this episode, you're going to listen to four CMOs and marketing leaders in an expert panel in a recently concluded Commerce Excel conference speaking about marketing budget allocation in a downturn. It's a great episode you don't want to miss, so do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear first-hand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. So welcome, welcome, welcome to Two X E-commerce podcast. I'm your host, Kunay Campbell, and this is the podcast where we talk about e-commerce growth. It's just growth, growth, growth. Now, on this episode, you're going to listen to Rosie Bailey, who's the founder and CEO of Nipple, moderating an expert panel with a star-studded, I, I would literally say they're star-studded CMO and marketing leaders panel. Um, the ethos of, of, of this entire conversation was more around, you know, how do you allocate budget? Um, where do you spend? How do you act in a downturn? We're no doubt in a downturn. Things are getting better in, in the United States. Things will get better, but in the, in the current circumstances, how you, as a marketing leader, do you sort of, um, you know, just walk around? How do you, how do you proceed, you know, through 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 the turmoil? Um, so it was on the expert panel. She we had Maximilian Ratzt, who's the co-founder and CEO of Clar. Um, he is an ex CMO for Y Foods, which is um, a D 2 C food and beverages brand in brand in Germany, which which achieved about hundred million dollars in revenue across Europe. 
Um, Stephanie Liu, um, she's the CEO, co-founder of Levitate Foundry, um, another growth marketing agency. Um, Polly Wong, um, she's been on the podcast, president of Bel- Bel- Belaradi um, Wong, the agency based in New York. Um, Thomas Robinson, director of growth at Teach Handy. So star-studded, um, you know, marketing leader, expert panel, you know, just listen in voyeur mode, enjoy this episode and I shall catch you tomorrow. Cheers. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get going faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Non, and Chubby's. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Commerce Excel. Thank you for joining in our Commerce Excel conference, the most awaited DTC event of the year. It's an absolute pleasure to have you around and see people tuning in from around the world. Whether you're new to Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or looking for new strategies to make this Q4 your strongest yet, this panel will show you the best in-class tactics and strategies for marketing budget allocation in a downturn. You'd hear from seasoned experts who have been there and done that before, staring companies through difficult economic environments and not only survive, but thrive. I'm Kunle Campbell. I'm a co-founder of Toptillion Capital Partners and also a host of the 2X e-commerce podcast. And I'm your host on stage one. And let's I think talk about the sponsors. We're proudly sponsored by Rich Panel, who's our platinum sponsor. And um, yeah, not every customer query should turn into a support ticket. Rich Panel is an all-in-one customer service platform for e-commerce brands that lets you cut over 50% of your tickets through self-service. We're grateful for their invaluable support as Platinum Commerce Excel partners. This event also would not be a success without the partnership of Partner Hero and Customer Labs, our gold partners, SEM Roche, VideoWise, and Ferrer are our, our copper partners. A little housekeeping before we get started. This meeting is being recorded, so please ensure that your device is on mute during the panel discussion. Please use the ask question feature, which should be on the right of your screen. If not, it might be on the left. Ask questions in relation to the topic. This is to the audience. We look forward to lots of insights, content, and great engagement in this session. Here is what to expect in the session's overview. Current market conditions are perhaps a perfect storm for e-commerce stratospheric um, high inflation, low consumer confidence and spiraling customer acquisition costs. So what do you do when consumer confidence has hit a record low? How do you navigate inflation? What is the lipstick effect and how can your, your business benefit from it? Get answers to all of these questions and more, as well as high level strategic overview from our CMO and marketing leaders. Right. To get answers to all these questions and more from an expert panel, 
over the next 45 minutes or even 50 with expert brand builders and next generation marketers. I'll now hand it over to the able moderator, very, very able moderator, Rosie Bailey, who's the founder of Nibble, the AI negotiation chatbot. Over to you, Rosie. Thanks, Kule. Lovely to be here. I'm really, really excited about this panel. You've got some real experts. We're going to have a cracking discussion. My name's Rosie. Um, I can't tell you how excited I will be to see your questions. Please do not hesitate to put them through and we will we will jiggle the content to make sure that we, we answer and tackle your questions live. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of Nibble Technology, and we are creating AI negotiation for better conversion and, uh, and engagement on your e-commerce website. But that's enough about me. Um, so let's talk about this perfect storm. Let's talk about high inflation, low consumer confidence, high customer acquisition costs. But what are you going to do? Well, you've got to have some strategies and tactics to win this Black Friday and going into next year. And we think this is a time of change. And this is a time where what you've been doing, what got you here, won't get you there. You need to change. You need to pivot. You need to innovate. So I'm very excited to introduce you to four fantastic leaders and CMOs from e-commerce, Polly, Steph, Max, and Thomas. Um, let me just get them all in the room. And I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves, if that's okay. So Polly, perhaps over to you, if you would be so kind. Yeah. Hi, Rosie. Thanks for having me. I'm Polly Wong. I'm the president of Blardy Wong. We are the largest direct-to-consumer marketing firm in the country. We have 400 active clients. Uh, we work with a lot of really specialty brands, C2C brands and specialty retailers, a tremendous amount of experience in categories like fashion and home. Uh, we have experience in really all of the online and offline channels, uh, creative analytics and financial planning. And so uh, just really lucky to have an incredible vantage point into the industry. And uh, thank you again for having me here today. That's super. Thank you. And, and Steph, lovely to hear from you, your, your background. Hi, everybody. I'm the founder and CEO of Levitate Foundry. Um, Levitate is a gross marketing firm. Uh, we work primarily with e-commerce, fintech, healthcare, um, consumer brands. Um, we became the largest female-founded Shopify Plus partner in uh, 2022, and we typically work with a lot of Shopify um, brands and ecosystem to acquire and retain customers for e-commerce brands. Hi, I'm Max. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders at Klar. I worked for the last like 10, 12 years, always in e-commerce marketing. Was the CMO at a company called Zander, which is the largest online fashion retailer, uh, online fashion retailer in South Africa. And then after that, now the CMO at a company called YFood, a German direct-to-consumer brand in the food and beverage space, doing like 100 mil plus in revenue. And now, like I said, I'm the co-founder of Klar, a single source of truth uh, for e-com companies that's putting together the data from all the various places and, yeah, visualizes it in a way they needed to understand how their business works across acquisition, retention, and finance. Fantastic. And Thomas? Hello, I'm a bit sick, but I'm going to do my best here. Uh, my name's Tom. I'm the director of growth at Teach Hanley, which is a men's skincare subscription business. Uh, prior to that, I worked at Amazon and a bunch of other e-commerce e startups. So I look forward to talking to you all. Super. Thank you. Thank you. So, so let's kind of kick it off with a sort of a, 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 a broader question about the consumer environment and, and what impacts we've seen. I wonder if, Steph, you could, you could give us your thoughts because consumer confidence is low. 
I, I understand it's affected people differently, right? Like some companies I'm speaking to are saying it's, it's, it's a big, big challenge and some companies are saying they haven't seen it bite yet. And so I just would love to know from your vantage point, seeing several different types of businesses, overseeing lots of different clients, what impact have you seen in, in your business and, and the businesses you, you work with and how are they addressing it? That's a great question, Rosie. I think it depends on the brand. I think it depends on their marketing strategy and it ultimately it depends on their customer base and kind of um, where their custom, where they're at really in building their customer lifecycle journey. I think for a lot of the clients we work with that are um, larger, you know, um, that have been around, um, they have very loyal customers. They have a, um, a lifecycle marketing um, ecosystem that's already built. And we have seen... I would say little to no impact there. I mean, we continue to spend more on advertising. We continue to diversify the media mix. Um, they continue to grow, even, you know, in 2022. And I think for a lot of the smaller brands, it is getting harder and harder with rising CPMs and so much saturation by way of advertising across, you know, Meta and Google and um, TikTok and some of these channels that we do advertise on. Um, it's it's harder, I think, for earlier stage companies. Um, there's just, you, you just, you've got to find that customer and it's harder than ever to be able to find that customer for cheap. So it just, it, it takes more time, it takes more money um, to really be able to really mine for, identify, find that customer. But I think for a lot of the larger brands we work with, again, um, haven't seen much impact. This is sort of a little bit like retention over acquisition, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Polly, I don't know if you've got any views on that. Sorry. I, I... Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm happy to add to that. I think collectively across our client base, actually seeing um, some very definitive trends in terms of sessions and conversion rates. What we're seeing actually is that as consumers really starting with spring break season and March and April and everyone's out traveling and entertaining and distracted. And as a matter of fact, you know, screen time has been down, obviously, since the highs of the pandemic. And so uh, less screen time, less impressions, uh, less sessions, and we've seen lower conversion rates. And so what's happening, though, is especially for our group of clients, again, we tend to work with more premium brands targeting an affluent consumer. What we're finding, actually, is that even though sessions are down and even though conversion rates are soft, we're finding that an increase in the average order size between 10 and 20 percent is actually helping to offset those declines so that most of our clients, as Steph said, are still seeing modest growth this year, um, even on top of, you know, a phenomenal couple of last couple of years. It's super interesting. Yeah, it's funny to think how much less we spend on screens, although we are on screens now, I suppose. Um, but yes, more in, in real life as well. So so perhaps I'm moving on to Thomas. I, I, I'd be really interested. I mean, let's be honest. Black Friday, it, it, it is a period of discounting and promotional activity. And, and I think we all love to hate it sometimes, you know, like you want to make sure your discounts aren't a race to the bottom and, and that they really, they, they generate a return for you. So, so Tom, how do you think discount strategies can boost sales, but also keep profitability in mind when you've got a downturn environment? Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of CEOs come to marketing leaders during this time and ask one basic question, how do we get our customer acquisition costs down? And I think that can be a very, very isolated lens that can cause a lot of trouble to your business. So one of the things that I've done with Tish Hanley is take a, a step back and look holistically at our data and customer cohorts and understand what are our acquisition costs by cohort, but more so and almost more importantly, 
what is the predictive lifetime value contribution profit of that cohort of customer? And it'll be very surprising how different channels, different countries, um, different devices impact uh, your, your lifetime contribution profit by cohorts. And two interesting findings from Tish Hanley is running influencer tests of 30% off, 50% off, and no discount. And if you ran a no discount test for influencers, uh, you would see your CAC super high, but your predictive lifetime contribution profit quite high. 30% off, your, your CACs drop dramatically because you can give your influencers a really compelling deal. And they do take a hit to your, your contribution profit, your lifetime contribution profit, but it doesn't kill it by any means. And once you go up to 50%, we saw almost no impact on our customer acquisition costs, but we saw a lot of people churn out and our lifetime contribution profit of those customers just looking for a high quality deal dropped dramatically. So isolating and looking at your customers into cohorts is, is immensely powerful and can save you a lot of money. Super interesting. At Nibble, we do negotiated discounts and there's strong academic theory that if you've worked hard for a discount, you value it more highly, right? And so sometimes we do see people giving too much too soon. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting. It's a psychological, um, behavioral psychology thing. Just maybe two things I can add on the whole discounting uh, aspect. So I think you now what smaller brands often tend to do is that they try to find uh, they try to find tough times with discounting. And um, that obviously works in the short term, but what eventually happens is that you keep pulling this mostly revenue forward. You very seldomly just generate incremental revenue. And the more you discount, the more you get into a place where you have to keep discounting and keep discounting, and you end up in this like real spiral. And then once you start to, you know, try to increase marketing spend again, like it takes some time for people to convert. So the initial response you're getting is very bad. And so you stop immediately to decrease your marketing budget again. So going into this discounting spiral, especially in the downturn, is like a super, well, dangerous way or path you can go to, you can go down to. So you have to be very, you know, uh, well, conscious about what you're doing there. And uh, also be aware of the fact that you will have eventually to fight your way back out of this, which will, um, especially in terms of cash flow, will be uh, well, probably quite painful. So that's the one side. And then more specifically to what Tom was saying, um, you know, discounting is obviously, uh, it's great that you test it like that. Another thing that we did is that we found, hey, we have this really strong offer that is working for us on, on Facebook ads in the past. Um, but then there are also other channels that we tested, um, like like a native ads on Outbrand and Taboola. And our initial offer was not working on that specific channel. So we then created a new offer that was heavily discounted for those channels because the intent of those customers on those people was much lower. And our initial offer, you know, um, our initial offer wouldn't work. And if you would have copy pasted that new discounted offer onto Facebook, it would have hurt us in terms of like total contribution margin generated, but having different offers that are matching the intent of the people you're reaching is also a super powerful way. So it's not always one size fits all when it comes to your discounting offer strategy, but you have to really like adjust to your customer in order to, um, well, get the maximum from, uh, or get the maximum profits in the end. And presumably I, to tie it into what Polly said, you know, you can have an offer that increases AOV uh, on certain channels where you might, you know, you might get back what you've given away. 
I suppose. I was just going to add too that I think it'll be very interesting to see really how D2C brands decide to play in the promotional space here this fall holiday season. Obviously, facing a tremendous amount of competition for wallet share uh, from you know big box retailers and marketplaces who are going to have huge promotional markdowns and discounts. D2C brands are not historically very promotional. I think it'll be very interesting. One of the things we already see on the marketing calendars for many of our clients is really instead of giving away margin dollars on the entire order, because obviously every line item of the P&L is seeing, you know, significant cost increases. And so, you know, if you're focused on margin, right, it's hard to apply discounts in that situation. Uh, But one of the things I think we're going to see a lot of from D2C brands Um, is a a lighter promotional strategy really focused on kind of pulsing in and out of category promotions. You know, so if you're a women's fashion brand, you know, maybe you've got an event where there's a special, you know, offer sale collection of sweaters, and then maybe the next week it's dresses or maybe it's jewelry. Um, And I think we're going to see as a way to try to control some of the margin impact uh, D2C brands kind of leading with kind of category specific promotions versus just giving an offer off the entire order. I have one additional quick point here. Um, it's I, the raising AOV and giving marginal discounts is such a good strategy. Uh, but with you know cosmetics and especially Teach uh, Hanley specifically, it's interesting to look at doing the opposite approach works really well, where you reduce almost all friction of that initial acquisition, and then cross sell and upsell downstream after that initial purchase. Uh, so we've definitely pivoted for different cold cohorts just to get them in our ecosystem and then use outbound strategies to to improve the lifetime value of the customer. So both strategies can work for different cohorts. And and by that, do you mean that you reduce the friction of the first purchase and it might be one low value item in the basket and then you go back for a subsequent purchase? You're not trying to increase the basket in the first go. Exactly. A message like claim a free face mask, try it out, get you in in the system. I do always recommend taking credit card information so, you know, charge maybe one, two dollars shipping so that they're in your ecosystem properly as opposed to just the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but having a very low friction first purchase, we don't make profit on that initial acquisition, but downstream is, is a very interesting strategy. So very low CACs, but, you know, hopefully higher lifetime value contribution profits. Yeah, we tested the same thing on like lower intent channels, like a free plus shipping offer. And now also the Y Footer brand I was with previously, they're doing like massively on sampling. So I think they're handing out like hundreds uh, of thousands of bottles every every month just to people. And, you know, for that to work, you just need a great product, right? I think once you have a great product, like it solves like 80% of your retention because to be fair, like I'm never going to buy a product again I didn't like just because I got some email automation or something. Um, that might help me if I already love the product, then I might do it. But it all starts really with retention with like a great product. And then secondly, a great product experience. And once you have that nailed down, it gives you a lot more options and leverage to explore different ways to bring in people in the first place and extract the customer lifetime value over time. Awesome. Love it. And so, so let's take a, a, a gear change to get really practical and give give our, our listeners and our watchers some really immediate hints and tips. So, so what tips have you got to plan and crush quarter four? Maybe starting with Max, but um, I'm very happy to be interrupted by others on this call. Sure, I can maybe go quickly building also on what Tom was saying. So I think what's very crucial and also where I see some brands running into a big problem in the past is that they 
don't really fully understand how much they actually can understand on acquiring uh, on acquiring a new customer during like Black Friday. Because what you tend to see if you look at your course from the past years that Black Friday customers tend to behave quite differently. And usually, you know, it's not the case for every single brand, but for most brands, the lifetime value of those customers is quite a bit lower. So if you keep working with uh, your same customer acquisition cost targets, you know, you actually might, well, still obviously acquire them at a loss, but then recouping that loss will take you much, much longer. So it's really important to look, go back, check how are those customers behaving and set the appropriate acquisition cost targets. So I think that's like a really, really must do that people have to do. Otherwise, um, well, they might run into big uh, profitability issues. And then second point, I think for me, is that, you know, when it comes to Black Friday, it's really about exploiting and maximizing and building on what has happened in the rest of the year already. So if you really, you know, it's more about really converting people that are already interested in your brand uh, for me, then it is about generating uh, interest uh, for the first time. So really just, you know, people getting them exposure now or a few months ago, and then just hitting on what you know is working and exploiting that as much as possible. Rosie, I'll add to that as well. I think, you know, one of the things, the DNA of D2C brands is that D2C brands have traditionally been very good at performance-based marketing, and they've done They've excelled at new customer acquisition. Um, I think, you know, to your point earlier about retention, you know, one of the major assets that a lot of these brands have today now is a sizable customer file. And these brands have always been great at acquisition, but uh, the truth is the profit comes from your customer file. All of the subsequent downstream revenue and profit, uh, because usually uh, new customers obviously come at a cost. And so thinking about it from that perspective, you know, really there's an opportunity for D2C brands to pivot and really focus more on CRM. We think about really, you know, five major channels for C, uh, CRM. There's a kind of an over-reliance on email. And I think we've seen some really, really strong results and some strong adoption for SMS. So that's very encouraging. Um, but really, other than email and SMS, you know, we, we think about a, a toolbox uh, for CRM that really includes five major channels, right? So email, SMS, social, what's your reactivation strategy on Meta? Um, and then, of course, you know, even within the Google platform um, on a search basis, you know, how are you targeting your customers? If you sell sweaters and I bought from you two years ago and I'm searching for a sweater, are you targeting me? And then, of course, um, certainly for at least the, the 400 clients we have here at Blarty Wong, um, they're all in the mail with direct mail and catalogs for CRM as well. So, you know, really, how can you activate, you know, email, SMS, social search and print to really kind of drive that that profit from your existing customer file when uh, it's I think it's going to be harder to well, we're seeing that in conversion rates. The new customer acquisition right now is harder than ever. Yeah. And just to chime in on that, Polly, I, I completely agree. I think the the out of home, the OTT, a lot of these other non-traditional performance channels um, for the traditional D2C brands that really relied for the last decade on your typical, you know, performance, paid social, Google search, so on and so forth. Um, it's getting more and more prevalent. And I like even with some of our clients, we're seeing traditional D2C brands now trying to go to Amazon and be omnichannel and or in store, which was unheard of back in the day, right? Um, so, but I think um, the additional foot traffic, the brand awareness is, is all helpful. And so um, it's, it's an interesting time, I think right now for brick and mortar and stores and omni-channel as well. 
Yeah, you mentioned the D2C brands and the marketplaces. I think that's honestly the single highest growth strategy we see for D2C brands at this point is increasing your distribution channels. You know, the reality is, is that regardless of the category, in any category, more than 50% of sales are still in physical stores. And so, you know, we saw D2C brands start with e-commerce, then they opened up their own stores. Now they're selling on the floor at Nordstrom's, and now many of them are testing the water with marketplaces. And I think increasing your distribution channels to reach the customer where she's at, I think I would practically buy anything on Amazon. I think we track to like 700 orders a year in this household. Um, but, uh, but I think, you know, it's interesting, but that's, you know, fastest way to some profitable marketing activity, increase your distribution channels and lean into your customer file. Yeah. We also had this, um, at Y food, we had this like really amazing flywheel eventually because, uh, we were in 15,000 point of sales, which we like, I mean, Germany is not as big as the U S so 15,000 point of sales is actually in terms of supermarkets, quite a lot. And, you know, you get this dynamic where a person might see, you know, an ad on online somewhere, then they run for the store and then just, you know, just grab it. And, okay, this looks interesting. I've seen this before. I'll try it. They try it at home. They like it. Then they go to your site. They start ordering, you know, your taster pack to get uh, more flavors and, you know, play around a little bit. And they say, hey, okay, I actually found my flavor now. And then we also had a subscription business, um, one of the largest, you know, food subscription businesses in, in Germany. And then they upgrade to subscription and they're like all kind of, you know, work together these channels. And it's not really like that they're competing with each other. But once you get them to start working together, it becomes super, super powerful. That's amazing. Um, I was going to, please go, go, go. No, this is uh, right. I can jump in with like two very tangible kind of Black Friday, Cyber Monday examples. Uh, one is with like rising costs of CPMs through Meta, Google, YouTube, et cetera, moving your spend down funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel to scoop up churned customers, especially if you have a big churned audience uh, or getting more repeat is a, is a very easy strategy to ensure you're profitable on those acquisitions. And if you do have an influencer network, now is the time to start very early negotiating Black Friday, Cyber Monday, exclusive deals with them because their CPMs, unlike Google and Facebook, are not programmatic. So you can lock in some unbelievable deals for very time-bound integrations with their content right now uh, that will be huge for getting a net new cold audience. So definitely recommend uh, getting in early with your influencer audience, influencer uh, providers. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. 
Get started today with a subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S.com and mention 2X e-commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2X e-commerce. And I think influence is a topic that we should talk about now. And I was going to go back to Polly and then maybe come back to, back, back to you, um, uh, Tom, because I know you've both got lots of experience. And Polly, you, you were saying to us before we started about seeing this huge shift in spend and channel mix. I wondered if you wanted to comment on that. Yeah, I mean, we honestly, we've seen just significant underperformance almost across the board on Meta uh, in the last year, obviously, since all of the Apple platform changes rolled out. And um, actually, interesting, I just looked across our client base um, January through August of this year. Um, our clients collectively have spent 19% less on Meta than they did last year during the same time period. And where are those dollars going? Obviously, some you know huge, significant spending on, on Meta for D2C brands. We really see those dollars going um, to three kind of primary channels. One is TikTok, definitely seeing clients lean into that. It's been really fascinating to see that TikTok really does appeal across you know, all socio-demographic profiles, even older consumers um, are on TikTok and we've got brands targeting older consumers doing well. Um, the second, you know, channel we see clients really leaning into is CTV. And I think that, you know, if the platforms can get it right in terms of the targeting and the segmentation, I do think that also streaming TV, you know, advertising overall is going to see just a huge lift. I think it'll be pretty exciting to see, you know, with Disney Plus and Apple and Netflix to see, you know, how opening up the advertising on those platforms, what kind of new customer acquisition opportunities that that build. So definitely, uh, you know, one TikTok to more TV in all forms. And then three, as I said, you know, um, I mean, we have hundreds of D2C brands in the mail. So really leaning into direct mail and catalogs to also drive both CRM and acquisition. So those are the three major channels. Definitely, as, as Steph said, seeing some clients do um, out of home or take over subway shelters and what have you. But um, those seem to be kind of the three most, you know, the significant channels that we're seeing clients really lean into. And this may show my ignorance, but when you talk about direct mail and catalogs, if you're a smaller brand, are there direct mail and catalogs places you can go alongside someone else rather than create? You know what? It's incredible how many um, brands that we started with that were very small. We started with Blue Apron was in two markets. Um, All Birds had zero customers when they launched into the mail. Um, you know, a lot of brands were very, very small. Uh, so, um, there's a lot of 
a lot of scalability and opportunity in that channel. Still works. Sometimes it's good to have something in your hand that you can see to, to make you excited. Um, that's fantastic. I'm now anxiously looking at my notes. I want to talk a little bit more about influencers um, because I know on this panel we've got some really great experience of building up an influencer campaign. And I'm sure there are some people watching saying, I know I need to do this, but I'm not sure how to start. So I'm just wondering whether we can open it up for, 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 for building that influencer campaign. Is that okay? Max, who, who wants to go first? I think Max and Tom are fighting over it. Now. Please go. <laughs> I'll start with a very typical Tom answer, which is start with the data. So the first step we do is do an audience uh, analysis of the influencer's audience in particular. It doesn't really matter what the influencer look like, looks like or where they're from or if they're your target demographic, but it does matter who their audience is and is it going to resonate with your product. So start there. You know, some high-level examples from Tej Hanley is, you know, is the audience 80% based in the U.S.? Are they male identify as male, are they between 18 and 45? You know, that's kind of our sweet spot. So start with, with that and do a lot of tests and then zero in on the verticals that we call them content verticals that work for your business. So a lot of male uh, content categories are things like automobiles, watches, video games, dating advice, fashion. And you'd be very surprised that your, your CACs are going to be very different across verticals. And, you know, shockingly, where we've had the most success, or maybe not shockingly, is, is dating advice. Uh, and, you know, we're a skincare brand. And we now, if there's an influencer in that space, we'll, we'll absolutely make deals with almost any male dating advice influencer on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. And we do find that, you know, platform is important. We're very YouTube heavy, but uh, it, the content vertical almost matters more. So, uh, just a few ways to slice the data. And uh, this is definitely, definitely something that you want to invest in uh, and should be, you know, for a lot of DTC brands, 10 to 50, 50% of your, your marketing pie. This is so interesting because the minute you say it, a dating advice, giving you advice on your skincare is kind of, why didn't I think of it first? But I can see how you might have, you know, played around with other verticals. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Cool, yeah, maybe uh, I can continue. And actually, I agree 100% with everything Tom just said, but just building on that, I think big mistakes that many brands do is that they approach influencer incorrectly. So um, they assume it needs to work from day one, but the way influencer usually works, even if you identify your categories, like Tom said, it's about building up a portfolio of influencers. So even if you found your category, what I found and also what many of our brands that we work with found is that it's quite difficult from the outside to judge whether someone will work. Um, so even if you do your first campaign and only, you know, two, uh, two out of 10 influencers work, you know, you might call it a failure, but it's actually great because, you know, have two people that very likely will work for a very, very long time. And it's really about just building up that portfolio, trying new people, and then just eventually we get a larger and larger and larger base of people that work very, very well for a long period of time. And then the second key to making that work is, um, well, de-risking that first partnership as much as possible. Just haggle, right? Just negotiate as much as you can. Just try to do something, really. So what we had is that I think only around 25% of all the partnerships that we actually started we ended up continuing because the customer acquisition costs and ROAS targets were within our boundaries. But more than 90% of what we spent was within our targets because we just de-risked 
those first partnerships as much as possible. And then later on went super, super deep into those relationships, right? Um, we had this one guy um, and we just heard that his car broke down and we just paid for the repair of his car, like without him asking for it. And then he obviously told all his, all his uh, community about it. And they went crazy and they just kept buying and buying and buying from us. Just really invest in depth and relationship once you've found these people. And then the last sort of unlock that we had is kind of like shifting away again here, like with everything from just short-term ROAS to also lifetime value from influencers. Um, that's like the last kind of unlock. We have had some guys, the initial customer acquisition costs in ROAS, they were very similar. But then once you start looking at the lifetime value of those customers, it was like a true 100% difference in some of them. So that can give you like the final, you know, um, kicker to really make your influencer a great success. And through that, we scaled the influencer program uh, to like a mid six-figure budget within like 18 months. And it became our major channel after, you know, being previously fully dependent on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> I have I two find it really very, very interesting questions. what you were saying about. Sorry, I'll let you go, Thomas. But I just wanted to emphasize something Max said about the longevity. This is super interesting, isn't it? Because like there's a lot of marketing budgets, it feels like it's spent and then it's gone. But here's something where you're building up a long-term relationship. I find that really fascinating. Tom, sorry, I, I cut across you. You go. No, absolutely. Um, two very quick points. Uh, don't be afraid of of the small influencers, the five to two hundred and fifty k followers. You know, a lot of brands that I talk to outside, you know, just on coffee chats want to go for the two million influencer. And that's a way to waste a lot of money. Uh, so I, I prefer every day of the week to do a lot of small deals at scale and volume to mitigate some of that risk. And then two, like Max was saying, build those long, long term established relationships with influencers, multi-channel deals across all their platforms that they have. And you should see your CACs get better and better as they sell their influencers. Uh, as they sell their audience over time. So two bits of little advice there. And the interesting question that leads me to, which is perhaps a bit practical, um, does that mean that the shape of your, your growth department or your marketing department needs to look quite different, you know? Because where you might have been, you might have had someone dealing with agencies who were spending marketing budgets across Meta and other places, you've now got these relationships you're trying to build and maintain. It's quite a different set of skills, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, the downside of influencer marketing is really that it scales mostly through people, right? Um, and you need good people. Um, you know, every every channel has its plus and minuses. And I guess the, the downside of influencer is that you need to uh, build up um, a larger team as you grow the channel. And is that team in-house? Do you know what I mean? Is, is that, is that going to need to be in-house? Or do you think you can get external help for this? I mean, you always can. I mean, I'm personally an advocate of, you know, doing it in-house. I think as a D2C brand, mostly, you know, you have two core value drivers, like 99% of all D2C brands have two core value drivers. It's product and marketing or selling the product in a way. And if you have your product produced by like a, some third party and just put your label on it and then outsource everything to an agency, I'm always like, okay, what kind of value are I actually adding? I think you really need to own, you don't necessarily need to own both, but at least one of them you need to own internally and be super strong at. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? I agree with Max. Definitely. You know, you have to, this is where the creative and the product, which is just usually held, you know, very close to the chest for D2C brands. Yeah. You really have to have people who are living and breathing the brand and the product who know what your best sellers are, who know when the product's arriving, who know what the story is. 
um, leaving that up to external, uh, you know, agency that doesn't understand the brand and the product as well. Um, we just see better results and more authentic results, uh, you know, in terms of the partnerships and the types of influencers and therefore the results uh, when it's managed in-house. Yeah. Yeah. Like the way that we look at it is we're 90% in-house um, in our team. It's very time intensive and people intensive. So we're, we're constantly hiring more people to join <clears throat> the internal team. Um but what we got very good at is a very precise type of influencer. And in order to start thinking about scalability as you get into seven, multi-seven, you know, um, seven uh, budgets, uh, you need to start scaling beyond your human capital. So we do look at agencies who have established experience in verticals and countries that we do not play in uh, just to get a head start on those. And the good benefits about agencies is that uh, they can do multi-brand deals and negotiate lower CPMs. Um, so that is one benefit. However, they take a transaction cut. So it's it's not all it's not all good. <laughs> Balancing act. Um, just to pause, uh, just for the, the people watching, the people listening, um, thank you very much for giving us your attention. But do feel free to put some questions in the chat. We've probably got about 10 more minutes and I've got a couple more questions that I'm going to ask. But I'm very happy to flex those to your needs. But just before we do that, I was going to ask about dreaded attribution. It's something that I know many marketing departments are struggling with. You know, how do I make sure that I'm spending my, my precious budget wisely? And how do I make sure I know which channels and which activities are delivering the right return and when we talked about this beforehand there was some strong views around the table um, and I think Thomas you had some views on on whether the analytics was important and in what way it was important I just wondered if you wanted to talk about about that yeah it, it depends on the size of the business how much you should be investing in attribution but if you're a one to ten million dollar business you know a good place to start is looking at your GA transactions in the Using that as a mechanism to compare apples to apples, a lot of the time you'll have people using their TikTok 3P attribution, their Facebook 3P attribution, and trying to compare them, but they're looking at different windows, and it's it's not a there's definitely value in that. But the most important thing is to have one clean view. So I would say start with your GA, which is going to be click based, uh, and then break down what a transaction is. So which ones are net new customers? Which ones are reactivations? Which ones are uh, OTP repeat, or, uh, sorry, uh, repeat purchases. Um, and, and that's a great place to start. I absolutely agree with Tom. You know, the, the problem with attribution platforms is that you really cannot add them up and just get to 100% of the demand. Certainly for forecasting, you really have to use last click because you know that it adds up. In terms of identifying the value, um, there are really so many fallacies, honestly, with so many of the measurement platforms out there um, and really what data you can actually track and monitor. And um, even the, the challenge with, you know, geo lift testing to kind of understand the elasticity and the performance of the marketing spend, even that is flawed. If you've got 100 stores and you've got significant offline marketing, the digital geo lift testing really, to me, is, is, is extremely flawed. Um, definitely we on the print side obviously can, can hold out and do you know, longitudinal control panels over time. Um, but and we can also look at the interaction between the digital channels and the offline audience. So we can look at that. Um, but honestly, I, I think the industry's gotten to the point where we've almost overanalyzed it and we've done our fair share of that as well. Uh, but yesterday I was on the phone um, with the CMO 
at a D2C brand that, that most of you would know. Um, and, you know, I think he nailed it. He says, you know what, we just take the Google last click ROAS times two. And we assume that that's the, the ROAS in the channel. And I usually say when you're looking at meta that probably the, the, the real meta ROAS is just somewhere square in the middle of the Google last click and what Facebook is reporting. So um, I do think we've, we, we do get to a point as an industry where we, we do overanalyze it. The clients that really invest in a huge marketing mix, um, you know, across many, many, many channels, um, even those that don't necessarily show the top of funnel channels, that don't show the immediate ROAS, clients who really lean into all stages of the funnel and all the channels um, really do see the highest growth over time. Yeah, I think, you know, attribution is always seen as this silver bullet, especially by smaller brands. Uh, they think like, if I only had attribution, I knew what I had to do, you know. Any brand I talked to that does like 50 million or 100 million plus, they went there without attribution, right? And I think the D2C brands have spent an exhaustive amount of time in the last five to 10 years talking about measurement. I think that now they need to start talking about some skill sets they don't traditionally have, like inventory planning and inventory management and financial planning and all of those things that it really takes, you know, to opt operate a business, you know, through uh, less easy times. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think, you know, on, especially because attribution, like most of these brands they have a very simple mix of, of channels they're using. They're using maybe like one super dominant and like two smaller channels. Like, and when it comes to allocating budget between these, it's actually quite easy to test. You just, you know, shift you just shift, shift a significant amount of money from one to another and you just see what happens with your overall metrics, you know? And the, within channel optimization still works. So it's kind of always like this, this, well, you know, people trying to put it as a scapegoat for not being able to scale or not, or like struggling. Um, but in, in, at the end of the day, once then they have something, like they're still struggling because you also still don't know if we say last click is 50% right, you know, you have some form of attribution. You don't know if you know at 60%, 70% or 100%. So the whole discussion never really stops, right? And um, yeah. I think it's just about comparing it apples to apples and also using a platform that you can trust. So um, because we run a performance agency, it's gotten harder than ever post iOS 15 to really be able to track in platform. And I, I do believe that GA is heavily skewed as well. So we actually, for our clients, we use a third-party um, attribution system actually for all of our clients because the data now is more important than ever and it gets harder and harder. And I do think that while you can't, doesn't necessarily always add up to be correct, I think you have to take a stance. You have to take a stance somehow um, just in order to be able to, you know, sift through that data. Otherwise, if you're just relying on the metadata or the GA, it's always going to skew one way. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and to build off that stuff, like the one thing that we do teach, even though we do have robust attribution modeling now at Teach Hanley, um, is we still start with the, the one of the key metrics, which is what's your weighted average customer acquisition cost? You know, let's say it's $45. And then the next week it spikes to 55. Obviously, you know, you had some efficient decay. So then you look at what did we do? Did we dump 100,000 into meta, meta? Was that efficient? Or if it dropped from 45 to 35, and your customer volume stayed the same, then you know you're doing something more efficient and then you can take that deep dive. So I think every team should look at that one number, on average, how much you're paying per customer, net new customer, and then two, on average, how much you predict to generate from them and just make sure that they're going in the right direction. And that's a good sanity check. 
So important. So um, we've got a, a, just a couple of minutes to wrap up. So I thought I might go around the table. Is Has anyone seen someone doing something really cool and differentiated out there? Somebody just deploying their marketing budget in a new way or a cool way? I was going to suggest that maybe Steph or, or um Polly might suggest if they've seen something that they, they want to Yeah, recommend. you know, one of the brands, uh, actually a retailer that I've just been phenomenally impressed with that a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, women I think are not familiar with is a brand called EverEve. EverEve, in some respects, is a women's fashion retailer like Anthropology. Uh, but EverEve really understands exactly who their customer is. They have about 100 stores. They have a huge e-commerce business. They lean into every single digital channel. They've built an incredible influencer network. Um, You know, they're producing, you know, millions of really beautiful catalogs every year. They've really built a community with their customers and they build that community both online and in the stores. And they have EverEve TV, um, which does extremely well giving fashion advice and tips to women. So they invest in things like the Top of Funnel TV that really help to build the engagement with customers um, and appeal to, to to new customers as well. So just, you know, a really sophisticated marketing mix um, from, you know, top of funnel TV, podcasts, you know, a lot of content, um, you know, an incredible influencer network all the way through uh, an incredible product strategy, um, really kind of leaning into the secret sauce that we always find, which is that the best way to drive you know, response rates and conversion rates is to have a range of products across categories and price points. And yet at the same time, it's very much curated for their target consumer. So again, kind of like an anthropology, mostly in the Midwest. So, you know, on the coast, you might not be as familiar with them, but uh, uh, EverEve is definitely an, uh, an incredible business to watch. Just an amazing marketing mix. Yeah, just chime in on that. Um, I can't say there's like maybe one or two specific brands, but I think the clients that are doing really well are the ones that have built a really loyal community. And that community extends outside of just an online presence, D2C out of home. All, all the marketing tactics we spent the last hour discussing, I think community is really hard to build. I think community speaks to your core. It speaks to your soul. And um, that yeah, those are the brands that are doing really well in today's day and age because then you launch a retargeting ad and your clients will flock to you and buy, right? So um building a community. I think some of the brands we're working with that are doing that super well um, are not even necessarily in the D2C category. I've seen I've seen some interesting stuff, even from old-fashioned brands. Like I don't know if anyone's seen clocks and the shoes category. They've been around forever. They're, they're not necessarily known to be cutting edge, but they put out a lot recently about diversity and inclusion. And it just stands for something more than shoes, you know? And it's things like that that catch your eye, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because it, it makes all the marketing tactics we've talked about today much, much easier. Um, and uh, it just, it's, it's a great way to really um, own your customer. I think it was Polly who said authenticity is vital. And that's what I was just going to say that. that. Yeah. You know, um, I often say that the thing about millennials is that they can spot a manufactured brand from a mile away, um, you know, and definitely another brand that I think is really incredible um, is Outer Known. And this is a com- company, an apparel company, a men's and women's apparel company that is just absolutely committed to sustainability and to really, um, you know, reshaping, you know, what the apparel uh, landscape looks like. And they've built an incredible community of customers. Um, and it's been definitely, I think, the backbone of their success. 
So thank you very much. Um, look, you guys have been the most awesome panel. I, I feel very privileged to have been in a virtual room with you all. Uh, thank you very much. It's all about authenticity, pivoting your budget towards new streams to be, be brave. If you haven't thought about your influencer strategy in a great deal of detail, this is a panel who really have. Um, uh, if you're thinking about attribution, I think the answer is, is don't let the science stop you. Pick, pick one metric, make it easy for yourself and, and look, at the, uh, look at the trends and the range. And above all, you know, make sure that you're authentic to your brand. I think that's really, really important. Um, thank you so much, um, Polly, Steph, Max and Tom. Uh, I think I need to wrap up. I'm hoping that Kunle is on hand to take over. And, and with that, thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you.